And so if you're wondering what's going on at LC, this is the time we fill you in. And so we uh, want to make you aware that the youth fundraiser coming up, the garage sale, is happening on May 6th and the 7th. And we're currently accepting donations right now, Monday through Thursday, 9 to 3. Uh, you can swing them by the office, or you can communicate with me, and I'll make that happen for you. Also, we want to let you know we have mission fundraisers going on all the time in the commons. Please check out what's going on out there, and you can support uh, global missions. And then tonight at 6 p.m., we have our Sunday night class flow, learning how to uh, operate and partner with the Holy Spirit and, and, and operate in the gifts of the Spirit and to be led by the Spirit. We want to give you the opportunity and make you aware that that's happening at our student ministries building tonight at 6. And then also, we got some good news. And so the van fundraiser for Pastor Ramon in the Dominican Republic is completely paid for. Amen. Amen. Pastor Ramon's so faithful, and uh, he has a, a team member uh, that would pick up kids and, and, and shuttle them back and forth and do basketball discipleship, and now they're able to purchase a new van to make that so much more convenient for them. And so the gospel is going forth as a result of your partnership, and we thank you for that. All right, now for the sweet surprise this morning, my favorite teacher of all time we have in the house. He is the goat, and when I say that, listen, I'm not saying he is a goat. I'm saying he's one of the greatest of all time. Uh, we went to an end-time conference, I believe that was last year, and I'm telling you, within an hour, everything I've ever been confused about as far as end-time events was clarified, simplified, and I left thinking eschatology is not that difficult when Pastor Bob's teaching it. So would you give it up for Pastor Bob Yandian this morning as he comes forth? Thank you. Am I on? I'm on. Great to be here. Hallelujah. Yeah, I had a good time at that conference too. I learned things I hadn't learned. So if I don't know what it is, I just make it up. Make it sound good, you know. So I love being at Lake Church. You guys are so blessed. Pastor Greg, Karen, you guys are just blessed. And I'll tell you, he's a great friend. And you know why he's a great friend? He never has to call me with problems. He figures them out himself. That's what's so wonderful about him. And to be here at the church, what a blessing. I was supposed to have been here in August last year, and my wife and I both got COVID at the same time. Now, you could have knocked me over because I didn't think I was going to get sick. I'm one of those, I'm, I'm redeemed from sickness. Can anybody here shout an amen? amen? Let me ask you a question. How are you redeemed from sin? Amen. Well, shout amen again. Amen. But do you ever sin? Yes. Don't look at me like that. Yes, you do. <laughs> Yes, you do. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you sin now less than you used to? Are you growing in it? Because what? Righteousness is a walk. It's a progress. So quit kicking yourself when you sin. Just, just stand up, say, God, how dumb I was. Forgive me and go on your way. You understand that? How I many you know Jesus also died for our prosperity on the cross? Really? He did, yes. But have you admit as much as you are prosperous, you still have a few financial setbacks now and then? Don't look at me like that. Yes, you do. We all do. But do we get in the down and the dumps and gripe and complain? No, we stand up and realize something. When's the last time I had a financial trouble? Well, God brought me through every one. He's going to bring me through this now. Why, when we get sick, does everybody point a finger at you like, I thought you believed in divine healing? Well, I do. I still do. That sickness attached a fully developed 
and healed person. But I still have occasional things with it. But I have far less than I used to. And they last shorter time than they used to. Why do you get mad at yourself and just stand up and say, okay, I'm coming through this thing. And Satan, I'm a healed person. You're attacking a healed person. So I had to reevaluate everything because I was mad at myself. Like everybody else looked at me when I said we had COVID. They went, like, you know. I thought, well, I bet you sinned a few months ago. Somewhere back there you did, you know. Isn't it amazing when a Christian sins, we want to jump in and help them. But if they get sick, we want to condemn them. Thank you for that rousing amen. All right. I'm going to be teaching this morning, and it's from, from my book called Why Did This Happen? The one I'm teaching specifically is out of this book, but not totally, okay? It's got some other things too. Why Did This Happen simply brings out, what I'm saying right now is, I know I'm redeeming all this, but I still have some things that leave me questioning. I don't understand. And I'll tell you this, I've been saved since I was five years old, and there's still things that happen to me that I have to scratch my head going, where did that come from? I don't understand it, but I don't throw, I don't throw in the towel. I just keep on going. You understand that? And I realize something, one day God will answer it for me. Even if it's in heaven, he'll have to answer it for me because he will. Every question will be answered, all, all that in that day. So that's back there on the table, theology simplified, what he talked about within times. I don't believe there's such a thing as something you can't understand. If I study it long enough, I'll understand it. And God will answer my question. I, I've talked to a guy the other day and everything he couldn't understand, he said, well, you know, God's sovereign. I said, you know what? Sovereignty isn't some kind of a hat or something. We can pull it up and shove everything we don't understand under it and just say, well, that's God's sovereignty. I believe God even tells you what things he's sovereign over. I don't think he leaves you guessing. Some people think healing is the sovereignty of God. No, it's not God's problem. Somewhere we've missed it. You understand that? God doesn't miss it. So don't just shove it under something and say, well, he's sovereign. We do that with sovereignty. And so in this case, you know, no. But theology is the same way. I remember one time, I, I, does anybody have a scripture that bothers you? I do. I still have a few. But one by one, they're getting answered. But I have a few scriptures that really, really bother me. One was when Jesus spit on the blind man. I could not figure that out. Why did he spit on him? I thought, well, maybe he has miracle spit. <laughs> Magic spit. Spiritual spit. Jesus had something about his spit that was incredible. But I couldn't find it. I thought, well, I'm going to go study it out in the Bible. I studied it, and I couldn't find one good thing about spit in the Bible. In fact, if you got spit on in the Old Testament, you had to go outside the camp, wash off, and take a while before you could come back in. When they spit on Jesus, I don't think that was a compliment. Okay, before they killed him. Okay, I think that was terrible. And when God says, I wish you were hot or cold, but I'm just have to spit you out of my mouth, that was not a compliment. So with everything I studied, I got further into this thing. Why did you spit on the blind man? So I finally figured out, why don't I pray about this? I know that's a far distant thought, but I thought I can't find in the Bible. Why? And so I, I was tempted just to say, well, that's the sovereignty of God. And just, you know, he did it for a reason. I'll never understand it. And I decided to pray about it. And I thought, well, it's one of those things I pray about that usually it takes maybe a year. It'll come back around. Somewhere I'll hear it in a sermon or something. I just left it into God's hands to, to answer me. And the moment I prayed about it, the Lord spoke to me and says, I didn't spit on that blind man. I said, yes, you did. It says right here, you spit on the blind man. He says, I didn't spit on the blind man. I spit on the blindness. Oh, <laughs> 
see what it's like to pray over something and study it and study it. And one day you come up with the answer and go, wow, it wasn't the sovereignty of God. I actually have a part to play in this. Now it makes sense. And I believe that God lets us know what he's sovereign over, such as the gifts of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit divides to every man severally as he wills. You have no choice on the gifts. Just accept the one you've got and quit, quit envying everybody else. God places us in the body as it pleases him. You didn't choose, I didn't choose to be a pastor or a teacher. I just woke up to it one day. God told me what I was. Well, I think God knows me better than I know me. So he chose me to be a pastor. That's wonderful. I'm not going to gripe about that. But when I run into other things, but see, even there, he tells you what he's sovereign over. He lists it right there and tells you, this is what I'm sovereign over. This is not end times. He's sovereign over end times. We're trying to control end times today. And there's certain things we can do. Thank God for it. But I'm here to tell you, when they questioned Jesus before he arose and went to heaven, he was standing on the Mount of Olives, they said to him, are you going to restore Israel back to its greatness again? Are you going to restore Israel back? They probably had their mega hats on, make Israel great again. You know what he said to him? It's not for you. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which are in my father's hands. You go into all the world and preach the gospel. I wish sometimes we just remember our major call is not to get the United States back. It's to win the world for Jesus. That's what he's called us to. And should we be voting right? Yes. But it doesn't take a scripture or a revelation from heaven to tell you that. You should know better than that. Vote for the best candidates you can find. Look at the scriptures and line them up with that. But when it comes to the final, when it comes to the final curtain call, God's going to be pulling the drapes back on what is going to be happening at that time. And he lets us know that. So he tells us what he's sovereign over and what he's not sovereign over. That was my sermon. Was that okay? Okay. That's okay. I just preached on my, just my sermon right there. So great to be here again. Look with me at Job chapter 19 this morning. And one other book I had on the grace of healing. You'll enjoy this. Every book I've ever read on healing speaks on from the side of faith. And there's a chapter or two on the grace of God. I wanted one that was the other way around. Every chapter is on the grace of healing, what God has provided. And faith simply receives God's grace. So in his, in, his, in his full hand, he has everything that pertains unto life and godliness. And faith is an empty hand reaching out to God's full hand to receive out of his bounty. So that's why that book is there. And if you buy the book, be sure and read chapter 3. You'll say, why didn't anybody ever say that before? You'll enjoy chapter 3. I'm not going to tell you what it is. You have to buy the book to read it. All right. You ever wondered about stories in the Old In fact, turn to Job 19. You ever wondered about stories in the Old Testament? 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us they're given there for our admonition, for our teaching. And so the Old Testament stories are there for us. And what he's simply saying is it's all right to give your own stories, but the best stories are to take Bible stories to amplify New Testament doctrine. Go back and find something like, my God shall supply all your need. Well, go back and read some of those things God did in the Old Testament. Say, yeah, but I'm really facing a problem. When's this last time you stood in front of a Red Sea and had to have that parted? Well, it just seemed like my problems are overwhelming me. When's the last time you were swallowed by a whale? When's the last time you stood in front of walls that extended to the sky and God had to literally ram them into the ground to level the ground out as they stood around Jericho? Well, it seemed like the whole world, there's something wrong with the whole world. Well, when's the last time God had to send a flood, kill everybody except for eight people? The stories are back there to let you know you don't have a problem compared to these people. 
my Lord, if he can save them from a whale, he can save them from a, from a, a, a flood that took over. The, and they had an opportunity. They had 120 years to repent and get, in the, and get in the ark with Noah, but they didn't do it. So story after story after story, incredible stories that God simply put back there. And we have this guy named Job. And I know you've got problems, but your problems are pale compared to his. This is not trying to figure out why all this stuff happened. That's all we do. Is, all we need to say is if God could bring him out of that. You really want to know that the background of this story? Read the first two chapters. It was the devil that did all this. And he challenged God and challenged him. God said, look, you know your boundaries. You know you can do so much, but you can't kill him. And God simply says, and you watch at the end, he's going to come back better than he's ever come back. He told the devil that. And the devil went out to prove God wrong and couldn't do it. You say, yeah, but th there's times when, when, you know, Job fell apart. Well, hang on to this. So do you. But thank God you can stand back up. Aren't you glad when you're knocked down, you can get back up instead of keep laying there? And he just kept getting back up. And he, there's times he griped and complained and finally shook himself, said no, no, and stood back up. And he ended up with a bigger family. He had double the possessions, double the land, double everything as God blessed him. But there's this one part of this, this, this book, about halfway through it in chapter 19, when Job was so overwhelmed. Anybody ever been in a position where you were so overwhelmed you didn't even know what to do? The problem of surroundings is so big. Listen, every one of us go through that. I've been born again since I was five, and I still face things that seemingly at times ago, God, where did this come from? I'm just overwhelmed by this. What we find throughout the Word of God is oftentimes that God doesn't speak to you till you are totally without any other place to turn. And God speaks to you. In fact, anybody ever been in that place where you thought it couldn't get any worse and then the bottom fell out from under you? I've been there. I thought it couldn't possibly get worse. And you get a phone call and go, yep, it just got worse. <laughs> David, David was in that position. His son Absalom rebelled against him and met everybody outside the gate for four years. Absalom stayed outside the gate for four years, greeted everybody coming through the gate and said, what are you coming in for? And they said, well, we've got this lawsuit, this settlement. And he said, oh, I wish I was king. I would make sure there's more judges to hear your case because the courts are all backed up and you can't get in. And he did that for four years and won everybody's heart. And David didn't even know it. David was shocked to hear about it when after four years, someone told him, your son's been meeting everybody at the front gate coming into the city. And he's won every, listen, from Dan to Beersheba, they have all fallen for him. David, you've lost everybody in these four years. David didn't know what to do, so he jumped on a horse and rode out to a city called Beth Amorbach. And there he got before the Lord just in quietness, listening to God. And about the time he was listening to God and trying to figure out what, what it was that was going wrong, his associate came in and said, oh, by the way, Ahithophel just turned against you. Ahithophel was David's finest war counselor. He said, he just switched sides because your son's going you know, to take over the kingship, wants to kill you. And Ahithophel, he knew right then, it couldn't get any worse than this. Ahithophel knows all my secrets. Every battle plan I have, every time I've been to battle, he knows what I've gone through. And now he's on the other side. And at that moment, he fell apart. And suddenly he had a revelation. At the worst time, when the bottom fell out from under him, suddenly he went, let the counsel of Ahithophel be turned into foolishness. It hit him. A revelation from God hit him at that point. Sometimes we are at the very lowest. We don't know where to turn. We think it couldn't get worse. And the bottom falls out from under us. And we're laying there suddenly go, oh, wait a minute. 
Let the counsel of Ahithophel be turned into foolishness. And that's exactly what happened. His prayer was answered. Ahithophel walked to him with the finest counsel anybody could offer. Don't send the whole army after David. No, protect the country. David right now is feeling bad. He doesn't know what he's done wrong because he knew David. He said, David right now is in some far off place lamenting. Why did this happen? All you got to do is send a few assassins out there with daggers and kill him. But his other counselors who were young and stupid said, no, send the whole army out there and kill him. Well, he left the whole place open and they all went out there. And of course, uh, you know, his son, uh, Absalom was out in front of everybody and was riding under a tree and his hair was real long. It flew up in the air. It got caught in the tree. The horse ran off and he's swinging from the tree by his hair. And Ahithophel looked at that and thought, oh my God, I bet on the wrong horse. I, I bet on the wrong guy. And finally, Joab just went over there and killed him. Joab was David's right-hand man, just killed him right there, and he died right there on the spot. And David came back, took the throne, and everything settled back down. From one revelation at the worst time of his life, let the counsel of Ahithophel be turned into foolishness. Job faced this. Let me tell you what Job is going through right now. Job, right now, his wife, his children, his best friends, and his personal friends have turned on him. He's lost his finances, his home, his cattle, his crops. His children have died. He's broken out in boils and scabs that drained and bled. His wife also told him to curse God and die. And it seemed God was not answering any prayer. And right now he is so discouraged. His friends are all gathered around him. And suddenly in the midst of all that, he goes, wait a minute. Suddenly something hits him. Nothing, there's nothing left that could go worse. Nothing probably could go at this point. Right now he's lost everything. And right now suddenly a revelation hits him. And look with me here at Job 19 verse 23. Suddenly he says, guys, grab a pen and a pencil. Write this down. In fact, no, no, no. Etch it in stone what I'm about to say. We need to keep this for ages to come. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, no, that they were engraved in a rock with an iron pin and lead forever. In the ancient world, when they buried kings or anybody important, they just didn't write it on a sheet of paper. They etched it in stone, placed it on their grave, and then to make sure it's going to last a long time. They melted lead and put it into the engraves of the, of the name so that whenever the stone started to rot, this lead would take longer. It would last longer. He said, guys do that. Oh, I love what God did. God said, no, because even lead in a rock will eventually wear out. I'm going to inscribe it in the eternal word of God, what you're about to say. And what did he say? He said here, oh, that they were engraved in a rock with an iron pin and lead forever. For I know... I know my Redeemer lives and will stand one day at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I will see God, whom I will see for myself and my eyes shall be not behold another, how my heart yearns within me. Let me tell you what's so strange about this verse of scripture. He was a contemporary of Abraham. There was no Bible. He lived in a land called uh, Ur. In the beginning of the book, it tells the land he was from. And he was not in Israel. He was not even a Jew. And here he is writing all this stuff, and he's writing about something that couldn't be found. Because why? He didn't have the writings of, math, of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Why? That was written by Moses. Moses was yet to come. There was no Bible. And listen to what he said. I know my Redeemer lives. 
Where did he learn that? And one day my skin will be destroyed, but in my new skin, I will stand before him on the earth. Where did he get that? He didn't, ha- he didn't know Abraham. He lived hundreds and hundreds of miles away from him in a totally different country. How did he know this? In fact, in chapter 9 of Job, he made this statement. Oh, that, oh, he said, God's on that side. And the reason why I can have no uh, contact with him, he's God and I'm man. He's perfect, I'm not. Oh, that there was a mediator between us that would stand between us and put one hand on God and one hand on man and unite the two impossibilities together. He was prophesying about Jesus Christ, the mediator between righteous God and fallen man. And through Jesus Christ, I now have contact with God and God has contact with me. Anything that comes from God to me comes through Jesus and anything that comes from me to God goes back through Jesus. He is the reason I have contact with the Father. He talked about that in those verses of scripture. And right now he simply says this, not only will I die one day and my skin rot, I'm gonna have a resurrection body one day. I'll stand on this earth and my redeemer will be in front of me. I will stand there with him. Where did he get all this? It's because he was as much a prophet as Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, as Moses, as Isaiah, because it didn't matter where they lived. The spirit of God spoke to him like it spoke to Isaiah, telling about the redemption of Jesus Christ for us. He wrote all those, but I want you to notice what he said. I know my redeemer lives. Here's the key. Don't throw away what you know because of what you don't know. Stick with what you know. What he fell back on was the, he didn't know. All this coming, yelling at him. Just curse God and die. Give up. All your friends have turned. God's turned his back on you. And they started naming all this stuff and he was listening to it, listening and suddenly went, wait a minute. I know. Folks, when you don't know what to do, fall back on what you do know. And God will answer what you don't know. Amen? So, again, the revelation that Job had from God, he simply said, I wish it'd be read forever. God said, let's bypass the, the stone. Let's bypass the melt, melted lead. Let's go straight to the word of God because the word of God will live and abide forever. And we'll still be able to read about Job's uh, declaration right here a million years from now when we're in our resurrection bodies and Job's standing there. We can say, I read what you said. I know my redeemer lives and will one day stand on the earth and I will see him in my flesh on that day. So he knew there was a redeemer. He knew there was a mediator. Again, it came back to it again. Job had no Bible, lived in a country far away from Israel. We also know he had already been, uh, he, we also know there has already been one resurrection body given to Jesus, but we also know that if he has a resurrection body, we will have a resurrection body. And Job knew that too. Without the writings of Paul, without the writings of Peter, he knew these things. So Job fell back on what he knew. Again, it comes back to this. Don't throw away what you know because of what you don't know. Always fall back on what you do know. God will answer what you do not know. Take a look at Romans chapter 8. Paul was in a position where he was almost the same as Job. Nothing seemed to be turning out right. Every time he turned around him, he wasn't supposed to go to prison. He went to prison. He got out of prison. He went back to prison. 
people forsook him. At the end of his life, as Paul is writing out the last letter, 2 Timothy chapter 4, he mentioned there, all my friends have turned on me. So when I went to, when I was, when I went to you know, and I was taken to a, a lawsuit and I was there in, in the courtroom, no one stood with me. He said, just you. You came and stood with me, Timothy. And now he says, they've all gone too. He said, Demas has forsaken me, gone after this present world. Carpus has gone this way. He mentioned other ones that have all deserted him, some that aren't around him at that time. And Paul was about to go to prison and die. He knew he was going to die. And the only one standing with him at that time was Timothy. He said, Timothy, oh, I like this. Bring my parchments. I will not throw away what I know because of what I don't know. I'm going to stick with what I know. I don't answer for Carpus. I don't answer for Demas. They stand for themselves. I do know this. And what did he know in Romans chapter 8, verse 25? We know <laughs> all things work together for good to those that love God. Right now, Paul was at that same place that Job was, looking around him, not understanding, but valuing the, the uh, beauty earlier in this chapter of praying in the Spirit, because the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you into things you don't know and don't understand. He said, I have praying in the Spirit, but next of all, I also know this. Thank God for the Holy Spirit and thank God for the Word. Those two combinations, we can't be defeated. When you don't know what to do, pray in tongues. Pray in tongues. Because why? When we speak in an unknown tongue, God speaks to us. He begins to show us things. He brings us reassurance. But also come back to the word of God and the things that you know. I've been born again for years. There's still things in the Bible I don't know. Still revelations I'm getting. And yet there's still times when things come at me, I suddenly don't know what to do. I face things even this many years after being saved, I don't have an immediate answer for. But I do know this, the God that has always taken care of me will take care of me. I know because why it's been proven over and over again. I know all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestine, these he also called, whom he called, he justified, whom he justified, these he also glorified. What would we then say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What things is he talking about when he says here, all things work together? Well, verse 35 tells us, it's just like with Job, there's nothing good. He mentions here, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine. Are we facing famine in our country today? Yes, it looks like it, but you know what? God hasn't lost the recipe for manna. It's still in a drawer in heaven. He'll just pull it out and say, let's bake some more of this stuff and send it to my children. You understand that? He said here, famine. Lois, he goes on to say in this verse of scripture, he says uh, that, uh, where was I at? Oh, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. How do we handle these things? Notice what he said. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? How do you handle the promise of lo- uh, the promises How do you handle the problems of life? You quote the promises to the problem. Quote the word. You're going to die. No, I'm not going to die. I'm going to live forever. (laughs) You're going to die right here on the spot. No, I'm not. My God has always taken care of me. He'll take care of me now. I like that when he tells me I've lost my salvation. No, you're just jealous because you lost yours. (laughs) And you can't get it back again. Uh Uh-huh. 
I'm going to go where you wanted to be heaven. You're going to go where you didn't want to go. It'd be hell forever. And then the lake of fire after that. That's what you've got for your head. You're just bad at me because I'm going to go where you're supposed to go. I'm going to sit on the throne you were supposed to sit on. I'm going to have all the things you were supposed to have. You're just jealous. That's all you are, Satan. Just quote the word at him. What did Jesus do when Satan came at him? It is written. It is written. It is written. Folks, quit trying to figure out Quit trying to figure out something that's not written or you don't know yet. Quote what you know. He said, we know. What do you do? Fall back on what you know. I know my Redeemer lives. I know all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Listen, look, look what Paul wrote here. He says in that verse, verse 30, whom he predestined, he called. Whom he called. This is all before the foundation of the world. He predestined me before the foundation of the world because he knew my choice whom he predestined, he called, he called me. I'm not only called, I'm justified. I'm not only justified, I've been glorified. Listen to this. All these things are past tense. They've happened to me. I've been justified. I've been redeemed. But notice the last one he mentioned. The last one he mentioned was glorified and it's past tense. I'm like Job. I haven't been glorified yet, but it's a done deal. You understand that? It's a done deal. God has put it here and said, it's forever. It stands just as sure as you got redeemed one day and it was past tense before the foundation of the world. I drew that up. You walked into something I already had planned long before the world. And one of these days, you're going to have a glorified body. That's what the word glorified means. I'm going to have a resurrection body. It's a done deal, guaranteed deal. In other words, God can look down the pike about 5 million years and see Bob in heaven in a resurrection body. And Paul said, this is what I do know. I do know this. I do know one day I'll have a glorified body and it's already planned. In fact, right now, God calls it a past tense deal. It's already done. So one day I'll have a glorified body like God has promised me. Wait a minute. If God sees me in heaven, five million years from now, standing in front of the throne of God in a glorified resurrection body, then apparently I'm gonna make it through this problem. And apparently, I'm going to make it through the next problem. And apparently, I'm going to make it through the next problem. Because <laughs> God said, my future is guaranteed. Guaranteed. Don't throw away what you know because of what you don't know. Stick with what you know and what you don't know, God will answer and tell you. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. Have you been born again for a number of years? Can I see your hand? All right, hold your hand up. Let me ask you a question. You don't need to hold up your hand on this. Just think about it. Even after all these years, are there times you wonder, am I really saved? Is there? Now, it's a stupid thing to think about, but there's times, how many can vouch for it? There's some mornings you wake up and it seems like God is about a billion miles away and he's nowhere even into the bedroom, okay? You don't even feel his presence. If, I'm, if I had to go by my feelings right now, I don't think God is near me. What do you do? Fall back on what you know. How do I know I'm saved? Because I put my faith in Jesus Christ, confessed him as my Lord and Savior, and despite how I feel, I am saved. I am saved. Well, Paul faced that. Did you know that Paul faced this one day? He was looking around going, you know what? Salvation's so simple. Did I possibly blow it? It's too simple. Maybe I should complicate it a little bit. 
Did I go to church immediately? Well, no. Well, maybe I should have gone to church immediately. Maybe I really, water baptism might have something to do. Don't kick yourself and realize something. The thief on the cross couldn't go to church and he couldn't get water baptized. Okay. And Jesus said today, (laughs) today you'll be with me in paradise. That confession of the Lordship of Jesus got him eternal life. That was it. Lord, Lord, remember me. Lord, he called him Lord. He didn't call him you master teacher, you you famous prophet. No, he called him Lord and committed his life to him at that moment. So 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. For this reason, the fact that he was called to be a preacher, that's in the previous verse, verse 11. I also suffer these things and right now he's in prison. That's in verse 8. So he said, for the reason I'm called to be a preacher and I'm suffering in prison right now, nevertheless, I am not ashamed for I know. When you don't know what to do, fall back on what you do know. I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded he is able to keep what I have committed unto him against that day. Understand something in this verse. It's up to me to believe in Jesus, but it's up to God to keep me. I don't keep myself. I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded he is able to keep what I committed unto him against that day. So it doesn't matter what I feel like. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what people tell me. It doesn't matter when opposing viewpoints come at me from different denominations. I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. So he's simply saying in here what what John said in 1 John 5, 13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. There's a lot of things in Christian life I don't know, but this I do know. I am a child of God, period, over, out. And I do know this, my God shall supply all my need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. I may not know a whole lot more than that, but that's enough to carry me through this situation. And what I don't know now, God will explain to me later. Amen. Do you ever think about this? Why we're gonna be in heaven forever? He's got to straighten all of us out. (laughs) Philippians chapter four. Paul with the necessities of life. Times he's been in prison. Times he's had a lot. Times he's had nothing. Times he's had food. Times he's had no food. Times he's had clothing. Other times he's only had what he had on his back. Philippians chapter four, verse 11 And here he says in verse 11 through 13, not that I speak in respect of what, I took this one from the King James because I like the way it's worded in the King James. Not that I speak in respect of want, that's financial need, for I have learned, say I have learned. I have learned. Here's what he has learned. He didn't say here what he has not learned yet. He quotes what he has learned. I have learned in whatsoever state I am in it to be content. I know, say I know. I know how to be abased. And I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How many times have we quoted Philippians chapter 4 in that final verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and not look at all that came before it. I have learned, I know, I know, I am instructed, therefore I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's four times more learning than there is doing. Notice the first thing he says. 
I have learned to be content. Contentment is not a feeling. Contentment is learned. I'm going to say that again. Contentment is not a feeling. It's learned. Sometimes you feel content. Sometimes you don't. But you don't fall back on what you feel. You fall back on what you know. I know. (laughs) I know how to be content. I know how to suffer, but I know how to come out on the other side of that. I know that God can bring me through. And simply comes back to this again. I know my God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory Christ by Christ Jesus. It simply comes back again to this. Don't throw away what you know because of what you don't know. Stick with what you know. There will always be things you know and always be things you don't know. Job didn't know everything to say when he was faced with anger, opinions, disgust from his friends and family. Paul had no quick solution when faced with problems. The wrath of Satan was behind all the problems of Paul's life and behind all the problems of Job's life. And Satan is behind all the problems in your life. God does not send problems. God sends answers to the problems. Don't blame God for your problems. That's what the world and that's what some Christians want to do. They claim it's the sovereignty of God sending you through this bad situation. Would you do that to your kids? Would you put a cancer on your kids? Then why would God do that? Why, if we ask for something good, would he give us something bad? Why, if we ask for a a piece of bread, would he give us a rock and say, here, this is my sovereignty, have a rock. No, I ask for food. No, you're going to get a rock. That's what you can get. I want a piece of chicken. Well, here's a serpent that could kill you. Here, try this. No, God doesn't do that. All those things come from Satan. You understand that? And God simply says, hang in there. My answers are going to come. He may not answer you today, but he will answer you. You understand that? Even with Job, it didn't come exactly when he wanted it to. With Paul, it didn't come exactly when he wanted it to. But the point of it is God is seldom early, but he's never late. He'll show up when it needs to show up. All right. So look at Romans chapter eight again. If you fall back on what you do know, God will answer what you don't know. With Job, it's my Redeemer lives. With Paul, as I know, all things work together. With Paul, it was I know in whom I have believed. With Paul, it was I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. But in Romans chapter 8, we're going back there again. I want to take up where we left off. And I want you to see something here in verse 36 through verse 39. For your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Well, I knew you were going to get to that verse, Pastor Bob. (laughs) For Jesus, I'm just killed all the day long. I'm just a sheep for the slaughter. You know, all those things you read are fine, but this is my favorite verse. I'm just a sheep for the slaughter. I know somehow God's going to come through with me, but man, I feel slaughtered all day long. Look at that. I'm just a sheep for the slaughter. No, no, no. It doesn't say you're a sheep for the slaughter. It says you're accounted as a sheep for the slaughter. This is how Satan looks at you, not at how God looks at you. And he's saying, no, no, no. In fact, he's pointing out, no, and all these things were more than conquerors. Understand something. Quit looking at it like God's in control of this thing. No, Satan is right now in control with what he's doing to you, but God's about to step in. And God's going to show you. I can't, I can't read this verse about we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter without thinking of those old cartoons where all the sheep are down there, you know, in the valley. And, and that wolf comes over and looks at him like this. He doesn't see sheep eating. He sees lamb chops roasting on a fire. They are accounted as sheep 
for eating, for slaughtering, for roasting. And so he sneaks over the hill, comes down there where the sheep are, and the sheep are just grazing along. And here comes all, you know, that, that, that wolf, that, that, you know, uh, whatever. Anyway, he comes after him, the wolf, the Anyway, he comes after him, and just as he gets down there, he's about to pounce on that sheep, and he meets sheepdog face-to-face. I'm here to let you know I may look like an easy pickings. I might look like a roasting lamb on the horse, but I have sheepdog Jesus that's going to meet Satan when he comes. My God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He simply comes down to this. There's days that look like I'm overwhelmed. There's days that look like my son's taken over this kingdom. He's been meeting people for four years, turned the whole kingdom against me. I feel so stupid for not knowing about it. Anybody ever felt stupid that you didn't know what was going on? But doesn't matter. God knew what was going on. And you can't save yourself. God's been saving you all this time. He's been formulating an answer for you. And Satan sees you as some easy pickings about to rip you off and he meets God face to face. And God brings his promises to us. In the meantime, just keep standing on what you know. I know, I know, I know. Look at what he goes on to say there. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter yet or no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded. Notice here, here's what you speak out, what you're persuaded of, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, things present, things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Anybody ever watched the news and looked at what's going on around the world? What's going on in Russia? Oh, there's times I look. I, look, I take a look at about the first five minutes of it, and I catch everything, because the rest of the 55 minutes, they're taking the same thing they said in the first five minutes. So I just catch up on it and go on. But again, you look at all that thing, you know, you could, you could get overwhelmed very easy at what's going on in the world. And notice what Paul went on to say there. He named all these things, and he said, I'm persuaded that nothing can separate me from the love of God. God created this whole world. Satan threw it into a mess, and God's got the plan to get the mess out of here. I look up, I look up for my redemption draws nigh. My redeemer will return one day. In the meantime, I'm gonna get as many people saved as I possibly can. There's a world out there. I'm gonna tell you something right now. Right now is one of the easiest times in your entire lifetime to witness. Because even sinners and liberals know something's not right about this country. This is not what they were asking for. This is not what they were believing for. This is not what they wanted to see happen. It's gone beyond what anybody wanted to. And right now, I mean, I sit with people on planes, bring up the fact I'm a minister, and they say, what's going on? Tell me about what's going on. They want to know. And we as dumb Christians are fearful to to want to witness them, witness to them. That's what you've been left here. On top of that, you don't even need to study on how to witness to people. Just trust the Holy Spirit. Amen. You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit's come upon you to be my witnesses. There's times I've sat on planes and some lady was talking to me, sitting next to me, and she began to explain all this stuff because she was a teacher at a university somewhere, liberal as could be, liberal as could be, and she was just spouting out all this liberal stuff. And I'm sitting there thinking, God, you better help me here. And man, did I have an answer. I gave her an answer like I thought, wow, that's good. I'm going to make a sermon out of that one. I didn't, it just came at me from the Holy Spirit. I was sitting on a plane. A young man came and sat beside me. I'd get on there first because I traveled so much. I was in my seat. He came right over, sat next to me. And the moment he sat down, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, he's ready to receive me. 
I said, really? So I leaned over to him, asked him why I did. I'm a student at a university. And then and he went on and on and on and on. He said, what do you do? I said, I pastor a church. You do? I said, yeah. He said, what kind of church is it? And I told him, he said, ah. and I said, you're ready to receive Jesus, aren't you? Went, yes. <laughs> he said, two or three people have talked to me and I keep thinking, no, no. And he said, the other day I finally decided, you know what, they're right, but I couldn't remember how to do it. So I prayed this morning, God, would you help me? And I sat right beside him. God knew, God knew that prayer was coming a few million years ago and planned the whole thing out on how I can sit next to him and lead him to Jesus. I just leaned over, grabbed his hand, said, pray this with me. I led him in a sinner's prayer. As we were going down the tarmac, he was a sinner. By the time we got in the air, he was a new created child of God. <laughs> oh, we had a lady in our church. She was a representative in Oklahoma City. She uh, went to the church. In fact, my wife and I had known her ever since we were very, very young. And uh, we met in the choir at Sheridan Assembly. And this lady was already singing in the choir. And so anyway, she, went, she ran for office and in her, in her 70s was elected to Oklahoma City. And so she was there, you know, uh, representing Jesus and representing our state and all this and everything in the Tulsa area. And she invited me one day and said, we're going to have a group of people come and protest capital punishment. She said, we want you to come and bring the biblical view of capital punishment. And I said, okay. I said, um, is this a big group? Oh, no, it's a small group. She lied, she lied, she lied. She said, there's just a few of them. And I said, okay, okay. Well, I got there and the place was packed. There were signs in the air and people yelling and screaming against capital punishment and you evil people, how can we possibly kill people? On and on and on. And finally, the, the moderator shut, uh, had to tell everybody to shut up. We've got a pastor that's coming up to explain us the Bible view of capital punishment. And so I stood up there and the moment I started to speak, a man stood up in the back and screamed at me. How can you serve a God that murdered his son? He killed him murdered him. How can you serve him? And I thought, I've never heard that before. I thought, wow, you better give me something, Jesus. Because I've never heard that argument before that God murdered his son on the cross. So I stood there for a moment. I said, sir, and it just came to me, just came to me, just scriptures started coming from everywhere. God can never be put on the spot. You understand that? Jesus could never be put on the spot. And if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you can never be put on the spot. Trust him. You don't have to practice how to witness because they'll always ask you a question that wasn't on your sheet. They'll always come up with something you haven't studied, all right? So quit trusting yourself to witness. That's why the Holy Spirit was given to you to be a witness. It's signs, wonders, and miracles and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. I stood there for just a moment and said, sir, God did not murder his son on the cross. I said, Jesus said, I pick up my life when I want to. I lay it down when I want to. On the cross, he said, Father, into your hands, I dismiss my spirit. And he gave up the spirit. Jesus didn't die because God killed him. Jesus died of his own free will. And because he chose to die of his own free will, God chose to take the sins of the whole world, including everybody here in this place, and laid them on Jesus. And he died for the sins of the world. And that included you and me and everybody here that's ever lived. And when Jesus Christ went to the cross and died. He rose from the dead. It was God that raised him from the dead, not God that killed him. You could have heard a pin drop in that place. They were all over the place, the balconies, they were around. I said, everybody bow your head. We all bowed our head. And I led everybody in a sinner's prayer. 
what was intended by the devil to get me actually turned into a witnessing thing for everybody there to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I've often thought about that. I'm going to get to heaven. I'm going to meet hundreds of people say, I was there that day. Wow, that was really something. Because even while I was praying, I think that's a great sermon. I got to write that down. (laughs) Stand still and watch the deliverance of the Lord. How can I do that? Don't throw away what you know because of what you don't know. Fall back on what you know. And God will answer what you don't know. Father, we thank you today in the name of Jesus for your word, for your Holy Spirit, for your revelation. Father, with this wonderful group of people, and right now with your heads bowed, is there anybody here today? I mean, you might have stumbled in here and don't even know how you got here. Somebody might have invited you to come and you wrestle with them all the way, but you're here today and you realize something. I'm not here by accident nor by anybody dragging me here. I am here by divine appointment. I don't know Jesus as my Savior. I've never opened up my life and invited him to become the Lord of my life. Would you hold your hand up and say, that's me? Hold your hand up high. That's me. I want to receive Jesus today. I don't want to leave from here without having eternal life. It's one decision away. It's not going to this church, stop being water baptized. It's by simply accepting Jesus. After that, you'll want to go to church. You'll want to be water baptized. You'll want to serve him because of what he's done for you freely. And all you have to do is reach out and simply receive him. Anybody here, hold up your hand where I can see it. All right. While your heads are still bowed, I want you to simply answer this one. Pastor, this is exactly what I needed today. I was so close to wanting to give up because I was facing things I had no explanation for, but I have chosen today. I'm going to not fall away by giving up. I'm going to stand on what I know and let God answer what I don't know. Would you hold your hand up? That's me. Okay, hands are everywhere. Thank you. Father, I pray for those right now. They're gonna walk away from here today with a whole new outlook on life. The God that has met me every single time and answered my prayer is going to do it again. I will not forget all of his benefits. I don't know how it's going to happen, but he can't turn me down. He can't overlook me. Next to Jesus, I'm the apple of God's eye. He loves me, cares for me. And right now, Satan, I really don't care how it comes to pass. I'm going to be victorious and you're going to be defeated. And Father, I thank you for that right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor Greg, is this for you or do I turn to somebody else?